So we're in Job, which it's kind of, it's not ironic. It's God. There's preventive things that the Lord will do if you pay attention to them. It's not a foreboding. That's a word that means like you're, you're dreading that this is some, why teach on this? Because it'll make bad. No, it's just the opposite is that, you know, life is filled with heartache and life is unfair. And if you haven't got that yet, uh, you will. Even with Jesus, it becomes harder. Faith doesn't make suffering easier. I think it makes it harder in many ways because, you know, we have a good God who loves us, and he has the power to make things different. If you don't have any good God, you don't have any expectation, then you just suffer and you have no, like, why, God, aren't you intervening? Because he can and does and will. And, and so Job, as I talked last week, and I, I hope if you miss our messages, last week was an important introduction. Uh, you can go online this week and you can watch the archive message, the beginning of the series, the book of Job. Uh, that we talked in last week. So we're back in chapter 1. Just to review, the, the chapter 1 has just acknowledged how good of a man this Job is. God says he's a good man. God says there's none like him. That's pretty big for God who knows everybody. He's like, this is the best dude on the planet at that time. Now what, what and Job loved his wife, he loved his children, he honored God, he worshiped, he had what, remember when we read this story this morning, he had just sacrificed an innocent offering to protect his children and ask God for forgiveness and watch over them. Now, behind the scenes, Job doesn't know there's this interaction going on between the devil, who's called Satan in this chapter. Uh, he still has access at this time in the Bible to the presence of God. So he joins in with the angels that are there. And God says, have you noticed my servant Job? And he says, well, yeah, okay. And God says, have you noticed, you know, what a, he's, a, he's, he, he's, a, he's a good worshiper. And the devil says basically to in the face of God, mockingly, he said, sure he worships you. You give him stuff. You stop giving him stuff, he'll stop worshiping you. You're buying his love. You're, you're, you're bribing him to serve you. And so this is kind of a, because it's human nature to want the stuff that you can get. You always question relationships. I've had a dear friend that, that you know, when you have a lot of money, you often have to question, why is this person buttering up to me? What are they, going, what are they looking for? It's a, it's a burden. Do you like me or my stuff? You know, the same thing can happen with children. Uh, same can happen. You, know, it, it, you, you don't want someone to love you because you're buying that, and God, of course. So God says, I accept the challenge, basically. Let's, let's do this. And, and you don't, can't think of it as a cruel test. This is God believing in Job. This is God allowing Job to become a forerunner or a preview of the coming Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't find Jesus in the book, you're going to miss the meaning of the book. Job is a Christ-like figure in this book in his suffering. So he doesn't know that there's this behind-the-scenes conflict that he's getting drawn into because of his faith that he is a believer in the living God. So let's pick up the story in Job chapter 1, as this morning we talk about what true worship really is. Chapter 1, verse 12, the Lord says to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your hand. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Remember, we talked about a hedge. 
that God, that the devil brings out, that God had a protection around Job, and the devil couldn't get to it. And that's one of the reasons why the devil said he worships you, because you protect him. And yes, God does do that, and I'm grateful for it, and I pray for that. I pray for a hedge of protection around my family, around this church, around my friends. And I believe in that powerfully, that God honors those prayers. But I don't want you to miss in God's tone here, the Bible is not written with the dramatic uh, tone implied. you you got to kind of come at it with your view of what's your God like. Is your God happy? And he says, very well, all right, game on. Or is it very well with tears coming down the side of his face? The Father knows what's coming. He's not a diabolical, tyrant, cruel, heartless, detached God the way the devil would like to portray him to people that are in the midst of suffering. There's no joy. There's no delight. God has given permission out of a broken heart because this same permission is going to be given to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he goes to the cross. So God, in a sense, is living through, and he does it with all of us. When he allows suffering to come to those that he loves, it's not with any sense of pleasure ever, ever, that God allows suffering. It's, it's never, even when he's punishing us for being rebellious, there's no joy in the chastisement. And if a parent loves punishing their child, they're a demented parent. A parent should grieve over the, the discipline that children have to be. But in this case, Job's not being disciplined. He doesn't know that. So God says, go. Now, you're going to learn a lot about the enemy here in just a few verses. First of all, he lights out in verse 12. Then Satan went out from the presence of God like, whoo, just whoo. He's a spirit. He's not limited to space and, and, and it just travels at speed of whatever. I don't know. Speed of spirit and, and faster than light. And boom, he, he, he goes with a, a bloodthirsty. You've got to understand in his nature is the delight for blood. In his nature is his passion for destruction. It's who he's become. He once was an angel that led worship in heaven, but jealousy filled his heart. And he said, I want to be like the Most High. Why don't I get worshipped? Why should he get it all? He rebels, and he becomes a little bit like, as you would see the analogy in the Lord of the Rings, Gollum becomes from a human to morphing into something that's unrecognizable as a human being at the end. And this is what darkness does. It, 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 it perverts us. It, it, it deforms us. It, it, it morphs us into uh, you know, people that we would never wanted to have set out to be. And this is what the enemy has done. So then he's going to have four tests in a row, all on the same day. I call this the day from hell. I was going to call the message that, but I changed it, and I'll tell you the, the, the title when we get a little further on. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. The implication here is not like a drunken orgy. This is a family that gets along, that loves life and loves each other. They're just having a get-together. This isn't, they're, they're not being punished. Remember, 
this morning he had just gotten up because it's the beginning of the week and this was his habit to offer God worship for his children and sacrifice. And so they were feasting. Verse 14, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen that were plowing and the donkeys, remember he had hundreds and hundreds of them, wealthy man. Verse 15, the Sabaeans, we're not really sure who they were. They could be nomadic, kind of uh, just terrorists, uh, vandals. Uh, I, we don't know. Uh, but you'll see in, in both the attacks from people, humans, that people can be, often are, whether they're willing or unknowing, vessels of darkness to be used in the enemy's ploys. If you don't look at the world and the news that way, you don't just get up. I don't care what kind of mental illness somebody has. Mental illness doesn't make you get a gun and go shoot people. It's demonic spirits that are behind the viciousness that's behind the, 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 the pain in our culture, whether it's nations going to war or criminals raping or sexual trafficking or whatever the darkness is, there is darkness in the world, and the world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand it. As believers, Job didn't understand, but we've had the curtain pull back so these Sabaeans, whoever they were, were bloodthirsty, willing thieves. They attack and they kill all of the servants. There could have been dozens and dozens of them, we don't know, to shepherd and care for that many uh, animals. We're talking thousands of animals here. They kill all but one. Now, the enemy, strategically, he works with a plan. He's calculated. Some plans he waits years to implement. Patient in that sense. This is, he's been scheming what he would like to do to Job. This wasn't a fresh plan. He had been, when God said, have you considered my servant Job? He not only had considered him, he thought about what he'd like to do to him. He hated everything Job had because everything Job had represented God's goodness, God's gifts. So he wipes out day one, or, or, or test one, same day, all four tests. Number two, it says, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky, burned up the sheep, the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped. Now, the, the, when the Bible is inspired, that means it's accurately reporting what's been said or done. To, to say, I believe in the inspiration of the scriptures. That doesn't mean everything in it is accurate. Well, you'll see that when you get to the friends that give Job advice, acting as though they're speaking for God, and God gets in their face and he's PO'd at them. He said, you didn't speak right of me. He didn't like what they said to Job. He didn't like their theology, and he got in their face over it. This is an interpretation based on their ignorance they viewed everything as from the hand of God, and yes, ultimately it is, but that is never to, to acknowledge that God is the source of evil. When the fire came, it came from who? In the story. Satan, it came from hell. It was a fire from hell, not from heaven. Now, on one sense, that doesn't necessarily change things, and on another sense, it changes everything. To know that the enemy had his hands and killing 
stealing and destroying, as opposed to thinking God somehow would find some sense of purpose or pleasure in doing that, is a huge difference. It, 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 it's a, it, it's, how do you believe in the goodness of God to send fire on innocent people and destroy them? That's not the God of the Bible. That's the God of the devil's misrepresenting through whatever teachers, whatever false representatives. I had a lady Thursday night as I preached the first message on it, and she said her pastor told her she had cancer, and her pastor told her that she had cancer because she had had uh, sex with her boyfriend, not married. Now, if that was true, there'd be a lot of people with cancer. <laughs> a lot of people. That doesn't make having sex outside of marriage right. It's dangerous. It's wrong. God would say, stop it. And there are consequences, whether it's venereal diseases, broken emotions, uh, unplanned pregnancies. They go on and on and on. Sex was meant for marriage. But to try to get someone to be holy because God's going to get you is not the way God wants people to love him. He gives you that freedom to make bad choices. And often there are consequences. But to put on somebody, I think the sadder thing is, is that she ate here and went back to church there, wherever there is. I'm like, really? I mean, the guy's demented as a pastor, but I feel sorry for you that you would go back to somebody that would put something on you, like a like condemnation of that level and magnitude. And, of course, she was reading the wrong Bible at, when she comes here because we use the New International Version, and this church is King James only. And it's like, okay, there's a battle we want to fight that will change our culture. You know, Let's get our kids back reading the King James Bible. That will really help. Let them teach words that they don't use and I don't even understand. And I grew up reading it. So, anyway, let's move on, Jamie. You're getting stuck in the... The fire of God fell, number three, verse 17. While they were still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one. Again, strategically, the enemy leaves one to be the bearer of bad news. Gut punch, head punch, gut punch. Just all, this is all in one day. And he purposely is waiting for the, for the death blow last. Let's get him on the ropes. You know, one thing you learn about the enemy, he, he never plays fair. And when you're down, he's up. He's after you. It's just like in the circle of light. When you watch the movies, and we've actually gotten to see some in travels in Africa, the, 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 the weak one, the one that can't stay up with the herd, the, the, the lions don't go, oh, bless his heart. The lion says, supper. We drove by this, this pitiful-looking uh, uh, warthog. They're pitiful just by, they're just ugly. I mean, they're, if you ever look at a warthog. But he had a, a bad leg. And it was just, God, my wife's like, no, honey, we're not. You can't, that, it is, that's against it. You don't rescue, you can't, that's not. She's going to get out. And, and, and the guy just kind of nonchalantly said, he'll be supper for someone tonight. Well, they don't play fair, and the enemy doesn't play fair. 
He doesn't say, oh, wow, you're going through a hard time. Let's don't add anything to it. Let's don't give you more than you can handle. You remember that? We, you hear people say God won't give you more than you can handle. And, and, and if you don't qualify that, uh, it's, it's heresy. Uh, because the devil will give you more than you can handle. If you're not going to Jesus, it's more than you. Right now, most of us couldn't handle test one, two, and three. Lose everything you own. Everything. All your 401, gone. All your retirement, gone. All your savings, gone. All your possessions, gone. Wiped out. Nothing. Job is now a pauper. He has lost all source of income. Everything that he's worked his whole life with. He started probably with one camel before they became a thousand. Now, we know God's blessed him in that. But now comes the death blow. Now comes the, the, the hardest blow of all. Fourth test. While he was still speaking, verse 18, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind, hurricane, you could write E in there. Mm, mm, I never thought about that. Well, yeah, you ought to think about that. Not every storm. Let me just pause for a moment. Point of, of, of balance. Not every storm is a demonic storm. Not every bad whatever is demonic. You, you, you don't want to ignore that there's a real enemy, but you also don't want to exaggerate him. For example, a couple weeks ago, I was working out in the yard, and, and I'm, I'm kind of remaking it after Ian, and I got these limestones in a circle, and I'm putting mulch down. It's a little bit on a slant, and I got my foot caught, and I got a big knife in my hand, and, and I went down on the on the a big limestone rock, you know, crushed my arm, and and then I rolled over on my back, and my first thought was, what would you be your thought? Was anybody watching? What is that? That's just pride. <laughs> you feel stupid written all over you. I mean, it's not like I was in an arm fight. Somebody tried to mug me, and you know, it, it just I just whoa. I don't. I didn't even know how it happened. I mean, of course, my balance isn't all that great. My second thought was, thank God I didn't go into vertigo, because normally spinning like that, I would go into full vertigo and I wouldn't even be able to get up. So then my third thought was, I started moving. I'm like, I didn't break anything. I'm okay. You know, the arms bleeding, the wife out passed out, seeing it, and but you know, I could easily. Oh, the devil shoved me. Well, you know, I'm not going to discount that that could. But the reality is, I'm top heavy. I don't have the best balance in the world, and I wasn't being real careful, and I got my foot stuck in the, in the rock, and I lost my balance. I'm not going to give any credit to the devil. Some people, oh, I've got a headache. The devil's attacking me. Well, it could be, but don't over-exaggerate that. That's, that's, use some discernment. You know, and, and there's, 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 there's evidences that you can look for when, boy, there's something dark about it. Have you ever been around a storm like Ian, and you just felt... There's darkness here. People are dying. This is dark. People are drowning in their homes. This is dark. This isn't just, well, you know, the meteorologist described it as a low prep, blah, 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 blah. And it went right at us. Why is that? I think, that the, I think Satan hates, I've always felt like Satan hates this area. Cape Coral's always kind of been the city of no, no one ever, when I grew up, no one bragged about living in Cape Coral. Where do you live? Um, Cape Coral. You live where? 
You mean where you can't park a pickup truck, you can't have a clothesline, blah, 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 you know? Now it's become much more of a popular place and it's much nicer. But when I grew up, no, I had friends. Still, they won't come over here unless they have to because Fort Myers pride. It's just, it's sad. But see, you, know, you, see, you, never, you see one sign coming down I-75 for Cape Coral. You'll see about 19 for Fort Myers or Naples. We're bigger than both. Why do we know any? Cape Coral, the city of no, I, I don't know. I think God has something for this city. I do. I think God has something for this church. I do. I think tests and trials set us up for, for things coming in a good way. I, I, I believe that. I, 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 I think God's going to trust us with, with things. And I, I, don't, I don't know all that that means, but I do know this. We have a real enemy, and Job's kids are in the middle of a hurricane, a tornado, whatever it was. And it says the house collapsed on them in verse 19, and they're all dead and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Now, I can't, you know, grateful to God. And when I talked to our friends in our group that lost their daughter, I couldn't say to them, wow, I know what you're going through. I've never lost a child. I've been around quite a few people that have, but I've never lost a child. I, I, and we'll teach that. And in, in unlike Job's friends that were horrible horrible comforters. He calls them miserable comforters. There's nothing worse than a, a bad religious comforter. It's one thing to be a bad person, I mean, a bad in the sense they have no understanding of anything and they're just trying to be nice. That's different than someone that beats you up with the Bible. Ah, anyway, we'll get to them. We will get to them. But right now, we're with Job, and, and the story is inviting you to come into it. It's actually a book that's not of much interest unless you like to kind of have theories and arguments, but it's really a book for sufferers. If you've never suffered, Job's like, Nying. I told you my introduction last week. I dug into it as I dug a fire because of my parents' divorce, which rocked my world and shattered me inside and made me angry, and, and that's what it does pretty much to every kid. Just know that. I'm not putting that on you to put condemnation, but at least some understanding of what your choices or the breakup, what that caused to your children. I don't care what age they are. I was 19 years old walking with Jesus. So Job invites us to come in. The book does it. invites us to feel what he's feeling. I've had the responsibility of my wife and I over the years as pastors to be with people in the darkest moments of their life. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terrible responsibility to represent Jesus in the middle of horror. And I think of some of those for me. One was uh, Chris and Debbie Barnes. They'd come to Jesus. He worked at South Seas. Come to Jesus in our church. They were new believers, a couple years old. Their 19-year-old handsome boy, Chris, Graduated with honors from Cypress Lake High School, headed for medical school, going to be a doctor and save lives. Girlfriend broke up with him, 100 miles an hour, McGregor Boulevard, lost control, ran into a royal palm that didn't move an inch, killed him. Well, I had to be the messenger to go tell the dad. And he's a big guy like me. I've never met anybody more kind and joyful than them and he 
threw up and went into just, as you could imagine, and then half hour later, the, the wife comes home. So I had to tell her and, and go back through that all over again. And then another half hour later, the younger brother, Jeremy, comes home. And it was just one of those days that you know, you'll never get it out of your mind. The grief and the pain that we watch that family go through, that, that's a Job-like experience. And, and I, I just, I want you to come into this. So whether it's been a divorce that you've had to live through, walk through, go through, cancer, death of, of, of a loved one, loss, miscarriage, you don't weigh grief like, well, you know, Job had 10 children. I had a couple last week, they were visiting, and 20 years ago, they lost a year and a half old child. Now, they've walked through it, they're healed, they're, but they, they still walk with that limp. I call it the Job limp. They, they they'll never forget that little boy until they get to see him in heaven again. You, you, wear, you wear those, those things that, that, that are in your, in your mind. One of our worship team told me that, you know, when she stepped off the bus and, and to come see her daddy, uh, and, 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 they were, and she was told when she got off the bus at 11 years old, your dad's been, I don't know how he died, but he's, he's dead. She says on a regular basis she can come back and be that 11-year-old all over again. Getting the news you lost your everything. And so we all have different levels of pain and or you're going to. So pay attention in this series because this will help arm you, equip you, and prepare you. There, there's, no, there's no guidebook of crisis. Okay, now here's what you know, but there is some some anchors that you can hold on to that, that Job could be your priest and he can teach you in this. How do you respond to the loss of everything you've ever owned and worked for and all the children you've raised? And how do you, let me, let me just show you how he responds. Verse 20, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, now, don't make Job some stoic, tough, strong, superhuman faith person. Or he wouldn't have rent his robe, which was a male sign of a torn heart. He wouldn't have shaved his head as a sign of despair and grief. He wouldn't have fallen on his face on the ground. This is a man in deep, deep despair and grief. His faith didn't stop the loss. And that even is a bigger challenge. In some ways, as believers, it makes it harder to suffer because we expect in our faith to see God do this, this, and this because he can, he has, and he will, and he tells us to ask and seek and knock. He tells us to anoint the sick with oil and pray for them. And the, He tells us these things. So in many ways, atheist suffering don't have all the 
the inner challenge of why, because their why is we live in a random world. It's just random life, and there's just there's no explanation for anything, and they're not really looking for explanation. And if there is a God, they give him the finger, and they could care less about him. That's a sad place to be. But, but, but faith didn't stop my parents from getting a divorce. My prayers didn't bring them back together. And neither were yours at times. But other times, as we sang in that song, God does things. And so in this, we're never just, Job wasn't just fatalistically going, well, that's just, that's, that's, that's uh, karma, or that's fate, or that's uh, the will of God be done. Well, that's not what he does here in what I call Naked worship. I know I often say the word wrong, so don't correct me, and, and I get it. But that's just growing up in the South, whatever, but it's naked. And so you might say, take out the rubbish. It's garbage to us, so maybe you say rubbish, but I say naked. I often put another word in front of that, but I quit doing that because, you know, whatever. This is what I call, I was going to call this message a day from hell, because it is. But I call it naked worship. And I want you to kind of let Job take us as we come out with some application here. Remember the whole crux of the story of Job was the devil accusing God that he has to buy worshipers. And the devil accusing Job that he's a spoiled brat, that he only worships God to get stuff from him. So that's the contention. Why do you trust God? Now, many of us started to come to God in the middle of a crisis. I told a man that that gave his heart to Jesus in the last service, going through a broken marriage. I said, buddy, I can't tell you that you give your heart to Jesus and your wife's going to come home. I can tell you this, you give your heart to Jesus, let Jesus work on you. If she does come home, she'll come home to a better man. And if she doesn't come home, then you'll be a better man for whoever the future has. So it's not wasted work because you need to become a better man. God wants you to be better. There's things in you that God wants to shape and mold. Suffering will do that. 9-11 filled this building the Sunday after. It was on a Tuesday. That Sunday, we had record attendance. I don't fault those people for coming. We didn't know what our world was happening. Everybody was looking for some security. Somebody tell me that there's somebody in control here, that some wackos can't take over our country by hijacking our airplanes. It rocked us. The week after 9-11 Sunday, back to normal. Now, I don't fault those people. I'm happy they came. They at least know a safe place to come to find some hope, and that we want to be that in our community. And so Job's not that person. Job's been honoring God his whole life. Job understands when he goes to worship on his face, which if you've never been there, let me encourage you to try it without the crisis that would bring you to that place. Just make the choice. Sometime this week, Find a safe place with nobody around. 
close the door, whether you put on worship music or not, doesn't matter. Get down on your hands and knees, put your face in the ground, in the carpet, spread out your hands like the cross. That's what Job just did. Because Job understood that worship is dying. Worship is surrender. When Job had put his faith in the living God much earlier, they didn't practice baptism back then. But as when we practice baptism, when you give your heart to Jesus and you get baptized in that water, not only are your sins buried, but your rights are buried. To an American, that's an idol. For us to be right gives us the right to do whatever we need to do because we're right. Not good. No, I love being an American. And I love my rights. You couldn't stop me in COVID, even if they'd outlawed us, because that's unconstitutional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather together. I have a constitutional right for public assembly. You can't stop me in the name of fear, in the name of COVID. I don't care if doctor, whoever says whatever, not going to stop me. So if I'd have been in California, I'd have gone to jail. I wasn't, so it's a lot easier to say that. Because I was in Florida. Thank you for not testing me, Lord. And there were some heroic leaders in California that, that, anyway, there's nothing wrong with having your rights, but you got to lay them at the feet of Jesus because his rights were violated. Those were his kids. Well, wait a minute. Maybe he dedicated, yeah, he dedicated them early on, and every week he sacrificed. Well, he'd given those kids back to Jesus, God. He understood everything he had. That's what he says when I taught naked worship, verse 21. When he's on his face on the ground, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb. I didn't come out with a BMW blowing the horn playing the radio. What'd you bring in? Nothing. Dirty diaper. That's all you brought. Crying. Noise. Nothing. How are you going to leave? Nothing. I've done memorials where people put, they make caskets now with drawers, stereos. People put cell phones in the, it's like, now I want to have my Bible with me. I love John Wimber when I saw him and laid to rest, had his jeans on, his jean style shirt, had his Bible on his chest, you know, uh, you know. It's, but, but our, our culture is just, it, it's, it's, Job, you, you, Job understood that everything he had had come from God. So he wasn't violated. He didn't, wasn't, so he wasn't, why me? He didn't say that. I think of all the wrong reactions that the devil expected him to have. This is defiant worship. He doesn't know that. But he's giving the enemy the finger. Now listen, I'm just telling you as Jamie, not a pastor, not a Bible verse. This is just Jamie. And if it's wrong, God can forgive me. But I hate the F-bomb. I hate it. I just think it's a foul word. It's foul. If you're a Christian, stop it. It's foul. Scrub your potty mouth out 
and move on. Anyway, that's my two cents. But what I was going to say is that if there was an appropriate place to use it, Like when you stub your toe, sometimes all gosh darn doesn't help, and you, other words come out. So I know I'm a hypocrite, because I'll use other cuss words. I just don't happen to use that one, and that's just hypocritical. I don't, at least I don't say that. <laughs> you son of a, you know. <laughs> you. But I don't use the F word. I'm, 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 on, I'm admitting I'm a hypocrite. 100%. I'm a hypocrite. Hate the word, but I like some of the other ones. They seem appropriate. They seem natural. They just seem, can almost feel the witness of the, no, not just good. What I said in the last year, I've never thought about this, and that's always a dangerous thing to say something that you've never thought about. So it usually gets you in trouble. But I'm going to say it anyway so you don't feel cheated because you can go online and watch it anyway. I don't know that it's inappropriate to give the devil the finger and use the F-bomb on him. I'm just telling you, if you're going to use the F-bomb on anybody, F-bomb the enemy. I don't know that God's happy with that or not, but I think he can handle it. This is Job giving the finger to the enemy that he doesn't really even know. He's worshiping the very thing the devil put his money on he wouldn't do. The very challenge that's at stake with all of us. And we come into those places of life that life isn't fair. Life doesn't go the way we want it. Our prayers are not answered. Our sacrifices don't seem to have paid off. Being good doesn't seem to matter at all. It actually sometimes makes it feel like it's worse. And all of that, he's stripped of any reason to worship. That's why it's naked worship. It's not, oh, I'm so good. God loves me. Look what he's given me. He's, and I'm grateful for all. I, I pray for his blessings. I want his blessings. I love the goodness of God. I love it when he rains on us and showers us with good things and blessings. I'm grateful. But what happens when they're gone? What happens when he shuts it off or comes and gets it? Now you find out, why do I love God? Is it because of who he is or what he does and gives? Growing up in maturity is when worship stops being about you. It stops being about how you feel. It stops being about what you get out of it. Well, I just really wasn't into it today. You're not supposed to be into it. You're supposed to be into him. So the worst worship service could still be wonderful because you're worshiping him. It's not it. The churches have fallen in love with worship instead of the God they're worshiping. Faith can collapse when it's in what we believe. If your faith is in what you believe about God, then when that collapses on you, you realize that your faith should be in God, not what you believe about God. Do you know there's a difference? There's people that have all kinds of theology. There's people that have theologies that, that Christians should never get sick. So what do they do when they, they get sick? Yeah, they do, they hide it. They just, or they blame it on the devil, which it could be, but you're still sick, and it doesn't go away. Your theology has failed you. 
But Jesus has not failed you. And there's a big gap between what I believe should be or how it should work and the way it works. And in between that gap, maturity says, I don't know, but I still trust you. Job doesn't have any answers. He's not even asking for them. He's not even bitter at these people that stole all his stuff. Where's the guns? Go get them. You got a right, vengeance. But he does, there's none of that because he knows everything he has came from God. Do you know that? Corey Ten Boom, I love her. She's long since been with Jesus. She was a, a Holocaust survivor, a believer in Jesus, and she just, uh, my one daughter's never forgiven me for having watched her stories called The Hiding Place because it's traumatic. You'd watch it today and be like a cartoon compared to the, the trauma that people put on media. But anyway, Corey Ten Boom, I heard her speak one time. She said, don't ever cling to something so tightly in your hand that when God goes to take it from you, it rips your hand apart. She said, hold things loosely. What are you clinging to? What are you holding to? What is it that if God took it, would violate you, would cause you to move into resentment and bitterness and anger at God? You know, I had to learn how to worship, and I'm still learning, Don't not like I've arrived on any level, but I learned how to worship as a 22-year-old. As a pastor, that was 20, all of 23, I was pastoring on Sanibel with my wife and that little baby, Kelly, that just led us in worship. She was four. There was one other kid in the youth, in the children's group, who was four, and they were buddies. His name was Matthew. His parents were leaders in the church. Now, you've got to understand, I was teaching this church to believe in a God of miracles, and I believe that. It never changed. Healing, deliverance, raising the dead. Nothing was out of the realm of possibility with faith in Jesus. And I still believe that. I never want to lose that. The point of this series is not let's give up on expecting God to do anything and let's just hunker down and try to hold on through the hardships of life. No, faith can be extremely rewarded. But in this case, we had a Sunday night service. Back then, we were Baptists, and it was death by church services. So we, what do you do going to church? My kids, we just took them. We drug them every time we went. You know, they, they grew up just, they didn't even question it because it was just normal. You had Sunday school. You had Sunday morning. You came back early for training union on Sunday night. Then you had Sunday night service. Then you had Tuesday night visitation. Then you had Wednesday night prayer meeting. Then you had a business meeting. That just went on death by meeting. Anyway, so, so we're having a Sunday night service. And we had maybe three rows here, like maybe four, like 20, 25 people maybe. And God showed up. I mean, it was just, it was one of those nights. Back then, we would sing choruses in a repetitive way. I miss that. Let me just say that as a disclosure. I'm not mocking it. I miss it. But it's a different generation. If I tried it here, people would be like, eh, what? Well, I want to hear Will sing, you know, Graves in the Gardens. And, you know, okay, all right. So we were singing this little chorus out of the book of Isaiah, how how wonderful or how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And, and then it goes into, our God reigns, our God reigns. 
and we started singing that as a church. We're 15 minutes into it. One chorus, just the words, our God. It was a, it was a spiritual, uh, uh, what's the word when you go into a, tr- a trance? You know, it was just like, I'm not saying, anyway, God was there. We were crying. I think I could have raised the dead at that moment. I'm serious. My faith was like, just saying it over and over and over. And God just kept breathing on us and breathing. And it wasn't boring. It wasn't, it was just, it's a little bit like worship isn't, it became about him. It wasn't the words. It wasn't the musicians. They long since quit playing. They're on their face. They're crying. We, we don't need a band. I can't wait for the day that God just rocks our worship team. And why the drummer quit? Because he's on his face weeping. And what happened to the keyboardists? They're over there on their face. You know, we'll just keep going. We don't need them. We need him. We like them. But we need him. So I got done. I went and got in my car, drove home, put the kids. Well, back then I had maybe had two, but I don't think I don't think Christy was born yet. But this was baby Kelly, four years old. Go to bed three in the morning, get the call. I've been humming, going to sleep. Our God reigns. I'm humming it. Get the phone call. Jamie, Matthew's not breathing. Come now. So I I, I don't know what's going on. I I jump in my car. This is my leader's uh, boy their only son at the time. We only had two children in our children's ministry back then. Kim pretty much led it all the time. Uh, so I jump in the car. I get, when I pull up into the driveway, there's an ambulance, three police cars, and a fire truck. Not good. So I go rush up the stairs. You can remember, I'm 22. I've never even seen a dead person. So I come up, I come into the room, and it's filled with, you know, professionals, and there's the mom in the chair. She looks up at me, tears shoot out of her eyes. She stands up, and she literally throws her son into my arms and says, raise him from the dead, Pastor. Raise him from the dead, Jamie. Well, it was one thing to teach that in a setting where everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah, yeah. And it's another thing to live it when you're holding a lifeless body of a four-year-old in your arms. I tried every faith prayer I'd ever tried in my life in the name of Jesus and binding this and loosing that and commanding this and calling on that and confessing this and just nothing was working. Finally, a, a kind paramedic took the child out of my arms, and there I stood, dead boy, distraught parents, and I went home. On my way home, I'm crying, and I'm really angry at God. I'm banging on my dashboard. I'm going down Cassibel Road. It's raining, four in the morning now, dark as it could be. And as, as I've ever heard God, it wasn't audible, but as it might as well have been, God said to me, sing, our God reigns. And I'm like, many of you have heard this story, you've read it in my book, Power of Ugly, but felt like it was appropriate here because it shaped me. And I said, no way will I sing that. No way. 
Never a good thing when you're telling God what you won't do. Never good. He never goes, what am I going to do? Oh, no, no, Jamie said no. It's like a little two-year-old telling you, no. If you go, I don't know what to do. do you? Give him the keys to the car. That's what you do. Cave in, raise a brat. Anyway, so <laughs> God, said, God said, sing, our God reigns. And I'm like, I'm, I'm by now, I'm, I'm, I'm more angry. And I have to pull the car over because I can't breathe and see and I can't. And the third time he says it to me, and I, you know, I've played baseball enough, I struck out enough to know. I don't know that I'm going to get another request here. In fact, God added to it. He said, again, this is, I wasn't trying to hear God. I'm trying to get answers. I'm screaming why. And in the middle, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you heal? Why? And God said, if you don't sing it now, don't ever sing it again. And that was a that was a what we call a come to Jesus moment. That was a that's when this is real. In other words, you're a hypocrite if you can sing it when things are good, but when things are bad, as what Job said, naked I came from the mother's womb, and naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For me, I started singing. Not because I felt like it, and not because I had a reason in the natural to sing. I wasn't bartering with God. He wasn't promising anything. It wasn't sing and Matthew will start breathing. It was just sing because you love me. And if that's not enough, if naked worship stripped of every reason to worship, if that's not enough, then you don't love God, you love his stuff. You don't love God, you love what he does for you. You don't love God, you just use him to get what you feel you want or need. And that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for worshipers that love him. He loves to give us good things. He loves to bless us. That's not the point. The point is when he takes something that's his and everything we have. When you got baptized, your rights stayed in the tank in the kingdom of God. You gave them to Jesus. Well, I didn't, no one told me the fine print on mine. I didn't know that. Well, yeah. It's called dying with Jesus. Buried with Christ. Wow. I meant that? I, I, need, to, I, need, well, I need some time. To, too late. You already got baptized. But I didn't really, you know, I don't, I've never heard anybody, the more you find out what it meant that they, but it's sobering though, isn't it? To know, wow, when I stood and said, yes, that Jesus is Lord, that means no longer is it about me. It's about him. It's not what I want, desire, and my will. It's his will to be done. So I'm singing this song. I can't tell you that I got flooded with some kind of joy. I'm still crying and I'm still mad. But it gave me this sense of God that I can't explain and that he didn't explain and he never has but I can tell you that four-year-old there's a lot of things I'm sure came out of that pain I, I never I lost complete touch with the family they were mad at me over something else and I've never been able to even tell I don't know whether they've ever read the book to know how their boy's death shaped my life and here I am 
44 years or 43 years later talking about him in a way that still molds and shapes me. You'll have those experiences, whatever form they come in, where you, you come to that place of surrender. Worship is surrender. Job, in essence, just practiced dying. He died. He didn't die physically, but he died to all that he, he, he had his hands open. That's worship. It's surrender. It's defiance. Satan is livid. He gave the worst finger F-bomb you could ever give to the devil. How? By worshiping the God that he wanted to rob the worship from. And we've been drawn into the same conflict through faith in Christ that Job walked into unknowing that his faith was drawing him into a conflict, that he had a target on his bullseye, that the enemy hated him because he represented God. What answers did I give to my friend who's why? I just told him I loved him. There are no answers. What do you tell parents that lost their 25-year-old? There are, there's, no, there's no answers that's going to explain the mysteries of suffering and life and choices. And, and, and you, know, you, can't, you don't just say, well, the devil did it. That doesn't solve, that, does that bring the person back? No. It, it, in essence, it's, it just comes down to worship is about trust. God's still good. Doesn't feel good, doesn't look good, and it's not fair. He did nothing to deserve this. It's not like it's one thing when you bring on pain that you know you kind of made bad choices and brought pain. That's one level, but when you know you've done everything you know to do right and everything that came out of it that was good is gone, being good seems like it was in vain. The book of Job is about Jesus. If you haven't picked up on it, if you don't follow it through with me, Job is a Christ-like example of suffering unjustly for purposes that he didn't know, but Jesus knew. And I want you, as we go through this, to let Job be an example to you of suffering and understanding that God is still kind and he still loves you even when it doesn't feel that. When God seems the furthest away, is often when he's the closest to you. Well, why won't he cough or something and let you know that he's there? Why didn't he just, you know, give you a little nudge and, and tap you? Because then your faith would be in the nudge. If you need a cough today to know he's near, you'll need two next time you go through a hard time. It's just, he, he crippled you. He would have crippled me if he would have tried to give me some theological answer to why Matthew died. He didn't, he, he, I still don't have any answer. And I won't till I get to heaven. We see through a glass dimly. So I just, you've got your own areas where you've been through, your own pain. Some things have been done to you. Some things you made bad choices. Other things just seemingly random. So I just want you to process those things more in worship and let God come into them. Don't shut him out. Don't leave him out of the pain. Don't leave him out. Because you want an answer to fill the hole that it won't ever fill, but his presence will. You take it to the cross. Worship is picking up the cross and following Jesus. There's nothing harder to do than to praise him when a hurricane of pain is coming at you.
and you thank him for being a good, good father. He's a good, good father. When Job was on his face, you know the father was weeping with him and smiling over him. So pleased in naked worship. No other reason but that he loved his God. That's got to be all. You got to get to that. And you can't without tests and trials along the way that help strip you of things that you're wearing that is going to hinder you from worship. He was naked, but God covered him in his great grace. Let's pray together. You know, we, we referenced worship as surrender. You know, for many of us, we've, we've made that surrender to Jesus. We know. We belong to him. We've been baptized. We know we've been buried with Christ. We've been raised in the likeness of his resurrection. But if you haven't, and you're here today or online, let this be the day of stepping across that line of just a head knowledge about God or being a religious person, but to having a relationship with the living God. You say, what do I do, Jamie? Well, it's a simple act of trust and surrender. You just say, Jesus, come be the Lord of my life. Just ask him. I surrender to you the control of my life. I realize now that everything I have has come from you. And I lay it at your feet. Come be Lord of my life. Just ask him. Come be Lord of my life. Jesus. Lord, hear their cries, those that are calling out right now, Lord. Bind the lies of darkness that would try to pluck the seed out of their hearts. Give them the courage to act on their, their prayer, their faith. Give them the courage, Lord, to be bold and take a stand. In Jesus' name.